0: All right. Um, uh, again, thanks for being here. This morning we had a little, uh, little debacle. I'm, I'm glad we kind of got everything figured out. The basement was locked, which means we wouldn't have been able to have communion for the first time in, in Lower Town's history. So I was a little, little bummed out. Or coffee. Um, so, um, uh, but thankfully your pastor knows how to, how to break in, break into things, and uh, we figured it out. Uh, so uh, you're welcome. Uh, if you're able to, if you like coffee, if you don't, there's tea uh, or hot water. That's your thing. Um, again, just just uh, thanks thanks for being here. Uh, this is um, uh, sorry. I'm trying to trying to figure out how how to word this. Uh, have you ever been in a situation uh, where there's been uh, no way out, right? Where I mean, just completely surrounded, uh, just no no. Just know, it's nowhere to go, right? So for example, I was trying to think of, of maybe an example, and, and, and I could think of, yeah, maybe some sports illustrations, you know, where you know, you've got the basketball and everyone's all around you and you don't know what to do, and you get traveling or three seconds or whatever, right? Sure, okay, that's silly. Well, I was trying to think of maybe one a little bit more serious, and, and all I could think about was like homework or class. And, and I just remember going into class, uh, you know, where you, where you sit down and you talk with your buddies, and then all of a sudden the teacher's like, all right, Pens and papers, or you know, put all your books away, everything off the desk, and pull your pencil out. And you're like, "Oh, what's this pop quiz?" And they're like, "No, man, there's a test today." It's like, "Oh yeah, I knew that, right?" you just There's no way out of that, right? You got to take the test. You can't like call in sick anymore. You're already there. Uh, you just gotta, you just gotta take the test and do your best. Um, that was I just called that uh, Tuesday uh, for me in school, um, and and so maybe that could be the case. Maybe some of you might have a have a military background, and, and so you completely and fully understand what that might be like. And you, and you do drills and you train of what this, would, what this would look like to be completely and utterly surrounded, feeling completely helpless. Uh, and, that's, and that's really what's going to be in the passage today in Nehemiah. And so this is week three, and we're going to see Nehemiah being completely surrounded, no way out of a certain situation, uh, and we're going to hear the cry of the soul of Nehemiah. And uh, where we've been looking at his prayers, and so this is the, the fourth chapter, um, and so we are skipping chapter 3, if if uh, you've been following along. We don't normally do that when we're going through a book, um, uh, but I'll explain that uh, when I get there. And, and there's not any, like, really hard passage or hard sayings in that chapter that we're just, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Let's skip it. That's not the case. It's uh, genealogies. This person was belonged to this family, and they rebuilt this part of the wall, and these people began to that people, and they built this part of the wall. That's great. It's in God's word for a reason, um, but we've only got 10 weeks to get through the entire book of Nehemiah, so we are skipping chapter three. Um, that is why we're doing that. So week three, just I want to just recap because it is a narrative, because it's story. Um, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page of, of where we've been and then also where we're going to be today. So if we go back three weeks... Uh, well, two weeks, uh, counting today. Two weeks ago, we're gonna look at uh, the prayer of remembrance, and this is chapter one in Nehemiah. And and really, Nehemiah is gonna pray to God uh, in his hour of need of, God, re- remember who you are. Remember who your people are. Remember the thousand years of, of Israelite history, of how you have redeemed us, how you've called us out of slavery, how you've uh, established us in, the, in this, in this uh, area, in this region of the promised land and, and Jerusalem, and you built your temple, uh, but yet we have disobeyed you, and you have sent us back into exile. And, and now, even though we're back in Jerusalem, there's still some government oppressing us, and it doesn't feel like the, the fullness of the promises that you've been giving your people. And so we we looked at it two weeks ago uh, in the historical historical context a little bit of that. This is during the time of uh, the Persian king Artaxerxes uh, the first, the Great. And we're going to see all these Persian kings are called the Great, the Great, the Great, the Great. Um, and uh, and he's going to be a contemporary the Book of Nehemiah with with es, uh, Esther or excuse me Ezra. Uh, and then Esther most likely was married uh, to Xerxes the first. And we have that title of, of the great. And, and Nehemiah is going to be the cupbearer to the king, which was actually a very prominent position. It was a position of, of power and authority and influence and being a good friend uh, to the king. And so uh, that, that's who, that's who Nehemiah, Nehemiah is. But in his first prayer, he starts it with this. He says, Lord, or, or Yahweh, when you see in all caps, uh, in the English translation, if, if Lord is all caps, it's Yahweh. Yahweh, the God of heaven. And he says, the great and awesome God. And then at the end of that prayer, he's going to say, give me strength as I talk to this man. He's, he's saying that Artaxerxes, the great, he's just a man. He's not God. He's not Yahweh, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. So he says, give me strength as I talk with this man. And then that last week we looked at praying without ceasing from chapter 2. And in that passage, it says that Nehemiah was was greatly afraid. And and Nehemiah had reason to be greatly afraid. Uh, And we look at his contemporary in in, uh, Ezra. Four years earlier, uh, Artaxerxes had stopped the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And now here, Jeremiah is about to petition the king and say, hey, I want to go back to my homeland and I want to rebuild Jerusalem, knowing that the armies just four years prior had stopped the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then as we talked about why he would have been very afraid, just the man of Artaxerxes himself got into that position of power and authority from hand-to-hand combat with a general that had killed his dad. And so with his bare hands, Artaxerxes kills a man to become king. So you can imagine why, why, why Nehemiah would be a little afraid to approach this king with the track record of Oh, nope, he's already sent the armies to stop what I'm about to request, and he is kind of a big guy and kills people with his bare hands. No, thank you. I wouldn't want to approach him either. So that's, that's where we're at. Um, this week, let's just jump into this week. I had some other notes I wanted to say, but we're just going to skip that. This week uh, here is going to be prayer in the midst of conflict, and as we're going to look at this passage and see everything that's surrounding Nehemiah, in this time of what is actually going on and through his mind as he's completely and utterly surrounded by his enemies. And so, um, and I apologize, I didn't, I didn't give an outline this week. I, I always, not always, but I'm, I've been getting better about it, okay? Uh, and I've been providing outlines, but I, I literally have three points to my outline, and I thought, why waste the ink? You know, it's a, I'll say them, I'll read them, you'll get it. Uh, all the scripture is going to be on the screen, and I'll, and I'll be sure to read all that. Uh, and we read out of the NIV if that uh, if you're interested in that. So um, this, this is this uh, is this is that phrase, right? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? You probably said that a million times when you were a little kid, and it's the dumbest phrase ever. I mean, words hurt, right? I mean, words can do a lot of damage. And 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 thank God that I, I grew up you know kind of post internet time, you know, like where you know I remember in in you know fourth grade you know, going on to, like, Nickelodeon chat rooms, you know, and, and uh, you know, instant messenger, you know, and people, you know, hey, you're gonna, you got a silly, you know, login username or what, you know, like that. that's all it was. But now, obviously, that, that, like, online bullying, that's a thing, right? This is something even I, like, we have, like, like social media, even as a church, There are people that hate Hope Community Church, right? And they let us know about it, right? And it's like, man, that's that's you. Let me get you some coffee, right? Like, can we just talk about this, please? And so, but words hurt, right? And so, words can be extremely hurtful. And so, the passage that Nolan read, when we really stop to look at this, about what is being said about the Israelites, I just want to stop and ponder and look at Nehemiah's response. To what these insults are—these incredibly hurtful words—and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. So, when Nolan had read there in Nehemiah chapter four, starting verse one uh, through three, it says, "When Sanballat heard about uh, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, and again, Sanballat was just a a, a governor from a, a region in the area." And it kind of starts with him. He's clearly, when we go through this book, he's like the guy who clearly hates Israel the most. And he's doing everything he can, but he's kind of limited because Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah and the Israelites permission to go back and rebuild this wall. So he's kind of doing everything underneath permission of Artaxerxes I. This is when Sembalat heard uh, that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry And was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. All right, so so here, this is kind of the start of his propaganda machine against the Israelites. So he ridicules the Jews in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria. All right, so he's just right now with his people. He's only with his friends, he's with his closest buddies, people that are already on his team, and he starts mocking and ridiculing the Jews, right? And if you do any kind of propaganda, that's where it starts. You've got to start it with people who, yeah, man, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, we're good. So he ridicules the Jews in their presence of his associates, and he said, listen to these words. What are those feeble Jews doing? I mean, literally, they are worthless people. They're worthless. What do they think they're doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Right? He's just the just mocking tone. This is never going to happen. Will they finish in a day? He's saying that because in order to rebuild this wall, to be safe from enemies, it would have to be done immediately. He has an army waiting right there. Can they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are, as the walls were destroyed, as they were burned, uh, as the the report came back to Nehemiah from his brother that he says, hey, the the walls have been destroyed, the gates are are burned. How are they going to do this? They can't do this. And you have Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, right, I, and I, for some reason, I just kind of picture him as like the little sidekick, you know, some, some like a comic relief character in a Disney movie, you know, like the, uh, uh, what was the new uh, Aladdin movie? What's the name of the parrot? Iago, right? This is kind of the Iago of the story here, Right? Tobias says, what are they building? <laughs> right? even, what they're building, even a fox climbing on would break down their wall of stones. Right? Just, just an insult, just this little, little fox, this little animal comes up, it's going to come crumbling down. Right? And that's, that's what they're saying, these, these ridicules and these insults. I want to read what one commentary says on this, on this uh, particular uh, verse here. It says that Sam, Sambalad addressed his nobles and his army possibly to prepare them for future action. It was the beginning of a propaganda campaign against the Jews. He used five questions, and some of them subtly phrased to require a negative answer. The audience could reach only one conclusion these Jews were good for nothing. Miserable Jews, as it's translated from the Hebrew. The Hebrew root, mil, or hip mil, is occasionally used in the Old Testament to denote the fading or withering of a plant. It is also used of people without any hope, right? As as this same language and word is used, it's, it's it's a withering, dying plant. It's without any hope. It is employed here in Nehemiah to ridicule the Jews. They are a withering lot of people. How could they do anything worthwhile? And I just want to stop and think about that. In our culture, in our context, whatever that may be, just just examine your own heart. Is there people that we would just say, what a miserable group of people. What a miserable bunch. They're, they're, they're just not even worthwhile. They're not, they're not worth the time. They're not worth the effort. They're just withering away. Just, just let, them, let them wither away. And I don't think we would probably ever come out and explicitly say that. But I was reminded as I was studying, I was reminded of the Good Samaritan. I was reminded of, of Doug Logan, and I, and I quoted him a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about uh, racism. And, and uh, Doug Logan, he's a pastor out in Camden, New Jersey, and he says that we need to like people, uh, or excuse me, we need to love people even when they don't like us. That's what we need to do. And wherever you are on that spectrum to say, man, well, I need to love them even when I don't feel that they like me. And that could be an ethnic thing. It could be a a country thing or whatever. We need to like people. And I reminded the Good Samaritan that in his hour, that the man who was beaten, this, this Jewish individual who was beaten and left bloodied on the curb, that the person who came and loved him, loved him even though that Jew would have looked up and said, I don't like you. You are ethnically different from me and we're not the same. And yet the Samaritan then loves him regardless of that. I'm thinking of, we've been talking about the, the family place and individuals that might say, man, they, they, they've made their choice, May they, they made their bed, they can lie in it. No, I think it's our job and it's our mission as a church to love people, period. Although it's not called the family place anymore, they've recently um, changed their name, it's called the Project Home Day Center. Um, so if we refer to the family place, that's what we're talking about, and I, and I hope you help out with that. We're going to be cooking some meals, hopefully, in the next coming weeks for, for some people that um, that we love, uh, and we care for, and that we want to be able to eat a meal with them. And so, um, if you have more, if you have questions about that, let me know. But another thing that we started uh, four or five weeks ago, we talked about this 2020 initiative, and we can look at uh, these people that we might say, man, this, what a, what a, what a, they're they're a withering people. Are these people, are these kids in Brazil ever going to amount to anything? And I'm going to get to what I mean by that uh, specifically here in a moment. So we, we talked about these different aspects of this 2020 initiative, of an individual aspect of you Now we're going to be uh, starting here pretty soon. A, uh, I think it's a, a three times a week Bible reading that we can all as a church, uh, us and downtown, and then in uh, January or February when the Columbia Heights location has started up, that we're going to be doing that, reading scripture together through some kind of app uh, on our phone Impact is just simply, are there three people in my life that I can, I can get to know, that I can share life with, that I can actually have an impact on with those, with those people? Change. Is there, is there one thing in my life that I can pray about over the uh, 2020 year to say, God, I need help in this. I need victory over this sin. I need to be changed in, in this particular way. And what is it that we could be praying about together Church, as far as us as a church, membership. You might not be a member. It's, uh, we're going to be uh, doing multiple classes downtown and here. That if that's something you want to get involved in and, and know what it means to actually become a member at Hope Community Church. Uh, serving, a lot of ways to serve. Giving financially with our time, our talents. Uh, the city, we're talking about starting that Heights location. Uh, Bless to Bless is simply being able to raise some funds to help people and other church plants that that need some financial uh, help. And then geography groups are just gonna be simply groups based on where people live that we can get together. Uh, beyond our small groups every once in a while. But then when we got to the world and we have this Thailand team that we're going to be sending some some missionaries over to Thailand, really excited about what they're doing, that we have a school in East Africa that's getting going here. Um, so really excited about that. But the one that we spent a little bit of time talking about was this Compassion International partnered with Acts 29. Acts 29 is a church planting network that uh, we have the privilege of being part of and really excited about that. And, and a big part of that was we have been planting and starting, and, and not just planting churches, but building churches and, and building uh, buildings down in uh, very poor areas in Brazil. And a big part of that was their, the children that are around in that area. Uh, and so we have to, we talked about this. I put this slide up probably four or five weeks ago. That, that this, is, this is it. Compassion Sunday. Boom. Look at that. It's here. It's here before we knew it. Sunday, September 29th. That's today. That's all right? And, and our aim at Hope Community Church is 100 kids. As far as all the churches in the upper Midwest, uh, we have uh, combined together to, to uh, um, sponsor 300 kids. So there's going to be 300 kids in Brazil that are going to get a lot of support. They're going to get food. They're going to get education. They're going to get shelter for simply $38 a month. And and so Compassion International, we've partnered with them, and so I want to take just a minute to talk about this. Um, our, our goal here at Lower Town is not 100 kids. I, what, I, what I said I think that we are able to do is 15 kids. I think that we can sponsor 15 kids. And I remember I said that we'll try to do 51 to outdo Hope uh, downtown and love and honor and compassion. But then I started doing the math, and I was like, okay, they've got like 1,200 people, and we've got like 50 people. So if you do the math, we're killing them if we get 15, right? So let's Let's just outdo them in love. And, right, and this might be a small group coming together. Right? This might be a small group coming together and saying, hey, but you know, one person pays, and you can Venmo each other, whatever that may be. But I want to talk about this. And, and so they, I've got 15 of these cards. And what it does, it has a picture of the child, their name, their birthday. Um, it has some information about uh, this particular child um, and, uh, and where they're living and, and where they're coming from um, and all that, all that kind of stuff. And, and then basically what what's going to be getting, uh, the monthly support. Um, uh, it's going to be Christ-centered. It's not, we, we don't want to just simply give handouts and, and Band-Aids and food. Uh, our goal as a church is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so uh, regardless of, of when, when a, if, let's say, a homeless individual comes up to me, from we're, we're downtown, my goal is not just to hand them money or give them a shirt or give them some gloves or a hat. My first and primary goal is to tell them about Jesus and why I love them, and then I'll help them. And that should be the same way when it comes to these kinds of things, too. It's Christ centered, it's church based, um, and child focused. And so the, the, the support goes to combat malnutrition, um, healthcare, immune, uh, immunizations, immunizations, there we go, uh, education, general skills. Uh, gospel message, message and spiritual guidance. And so we have an Acts 29 pastor who was assessed the same way I was The planet church, that he is doing the same thing down there in Brazil, personal relationship with you as their sponsor, that you actually get to send them information about you. And there's a kind of a, a card and, and you can send a picture of your family and they're gonna get that and they're gonna see you and they're gonna probably thank you, even though they might not ever be able to tell you that. And uh, so just anyways, and you can keep, keep in contact with that. Like a little pen pal, right? Uh, did anybody do that when your kids, pen pals? I did. You see, I see a lot of heads nodding. All right, all right. You're just not a hand-raising group. A bunch of Baptist Presbyterians in here. Lutherans. All right. Um, anyways, what this is, so then this card, all, all it is is this card, we're going to rip it off, and there's going to be a box that we'll have out in the hallway, and this is your credit card information. Um, and it's $38 a month, right, I mean, that's literally like, don't go to Jimmy John's twice this month and, and done, right? I mean, that's a lot of Jimmy John's. Like, you got you some like giant sandwiches from Jimmy John's. Don't go to Jimmy John's three times, all right? Um, anyways, 15 kids, right? I want you to be in prayer about this. Uh, And I really, really want us to be able to support 15 kids in Brazil. And and again, this isn't just some random group. Uh, We know the pastor. uh, We have commissioned him. We've sent him out. We've we've provided—I think it was $70,000—to build a giant building uh, and infrastructure down there for them. And so we don't want to just build it and then leave them leave them hanging. We want to be able to support them. And obviously, with every child that's supported, there's a family. There's a family that comes with it. There's a family that says, thank you. Hey, they love Jesus, and they love Jesus so much that they want to help us financially. Tell me more about this Jesus. And that's what happens. That's the gospel, right? And so we have a part of that. So we'll be out, and out. I would love to answer any more questions that you might have, uh, have about that. So again, looking at Nehemiah, I think this one might be an easy thing. It'd be like, man, these are just kids. These are, these, are, these are children who are made in the image of God. These are children who need help, and I think that we have the means to be able to to help them. And again, don't feel guilt, don't feel shame, don't feel like, man, I I just can't afford that. I understand that. So don't don't hear that from me, but I think that we do, and we have the ability to provide this for 15 kids if we are able to. So moving along in the text here, Nehemiah is going to teach us to pray. I love in the Gospels how the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, can you please teach us to pray? Can you you teach us how to to pray the way that you pray? And he starts off, he says, when you pray, you pray like this, Father who art in heaven. And he enters and goes into well-known Lord's Prayer. But Nehemiah, by demonstration, is gonna teach us how to pray. And I'm just gonna read it. And he's gonna say some things that you might go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's pump the brakes here a little bit, Nehemiah. It's a little harsh. All right, so just wanna talk about this. So Nehemiah says this. Starting in verse 4, he says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turned there, right? His enemies around him, insulting, turned their insults back on their own heads. Whoa! And then he says this, Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. And then he goes a step further in verse 5, and he says, Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Nehemiah is literally saying, do not forgive them of their sins. How how can he say that? How, How can he do that? Well, again, this commentary says this, Nehemiah requested the Lord not to forgive the enemies for their sins, committed by deriding the abilities of the builders, not to blot them out, wash them off, or sweep them away. The iniquities and sins were committed by sneering at the work God had commanded. The prayer was thus not vindictive because the Jews were insulted, but because God's work was ridiculed. Thus, the prayer was religiously and not nationalistically motivated." We have to understand the, the reason behind Nehemiah's prayer here isn't that he was made fun of, and he says, God, they hurt my feelings, never forgive them of their sins. That's not what's happening here. It's not nationalistically of, God, this is our country. They've attacked our country. They're, 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 they're giving threats of attacking our country. God, man, you just wipe them out. It's not a nationalistic thing. That the reason, the motivation going on here of him praying this prayer is because God specifically commanded Nehemiah to go back and do these things. He specifically commanded Ezra to go back and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. So this isn't a personal attack. So we've got to be careful when we read something like this out of context or, or read this or read some of the Psalms and be like, yeah, that's, that's me. To not make this nationalistic or about my country or even me personally. We've mentioned this before. We talk about that we, that we are in the party, political party of the kingdom of God, uh, that we could probably take a vote and we'd probably be all over the place politically. And I'm, and I'm happy about that because we should let our, our theology and our view of the kingdom of God influence then our politics, not the other way around. And that's what Nehemiah is saying here, that God has commanded us to do something So therefore, I'm going to do it. And so we've got to be careful that when someone attacks me or my country or my party, these are not the kind of prayers that we pray. (laughs) That is not what Nehemiah is teaching us to do. This is only work that is commissioned by God. And I would say that is the church, that we have been commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we do that in part with planting churches all over the place, we do that in part by supporting children in Brazil to be able to preach the gospel until all have heard. It's not just me when I don't get my way. I might be able to pray this prayer when somebody specifically comes at me and says, oh, you're not going to get this promotion. You're not going to get this thing. You're not going to get that good grade because you're a Christian, because your, your view on this is way off. That, that there is an attack on God. Not me. It's not a personal thing. It's an attack on God. But this doesn't come out of left field, Nehemiah's prayer. Nehemiah here is, again, reminding God of the promises that he gave Israel. And so we go to the Big Ten. We go to the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And God himself writes down and carves into stone, you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God. For Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. that's That's the command. That's what God is saying. I'm not gonna hold anyone guiltless who misuses my name. And it's interesting that when we look at this, when we think about, you know, it's it's translated taking God's name in vain. That were, I think, very quickly to, you know, uh, you know and, and this was a thing growing up, and, and I still do this. I've got little kids, right? Don't, don't say, oh, my God, right? You know, my grandma would have slapped me across the face if I, if I said, oh, my gosh, I would have got slapped across the face, right? So is, is this part of that? It could be, right? But, but at the same time, I think a lot of times we're so quick to, like, condemn people for, like, damning people in God's name. But then when somebody sneezes and somebody says, God bless you, do I, do, you, do I really mean, I bless you in God's name because you just sneezed, right? Like, is that not taking God's name in vain? Well, I don't think it is, right? I think what God is getting at and what we're gonna look at Jesus as well, uh, I'll just skip over to Jesus here and then I'll, and I'll make some comments on this. Jesus, and I talked about this passage a couple weeks ago, but I didn't get here because I didn't wanna open this can of worms uh, just yet. So this is what, in the Mark chapter three, Jesus is accused of being demon-possessed because he cast out demons. So it says this in uh, verse 23 of Mark chapter 3, So Jesus called them over to him, the religious leaders, and began to speak to them in parables. He says, How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand his end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house, right? And here the strong man is Satan, and Jesus saying, I'm going to bind him so that the power of the gospel will have full authority over anybody. And he says, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins of every slander they utter. Verse 29, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, and they are guilty of of an eternal sin. All right, so what's God teaching in Exodus in the Ten Commandments? What is Nehemiah teaching us in his prayer? What is Jesus teaching us about who he is? He is saying, I'm God, and I can forgive sins, and if you reject me, there's no hope. Your sins will not be forgiven. Your sins will not be blotted out. In other words, if you ascribe something to God, that isn't God, watch out. If you ascribe something or say that's not God when it is, watch out. Because Jesus here is saying, that's me. I am that I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father but through me. And I am claiming to be God in the flesh who can forgive sins. And if you reject that message, you will not be forgiven. We talked about this a couple, uh, maybe a year ago, we had a, a series that we did on uh, I'm okay in Jesus. I'm okay in Jesus. And we talked about how that, that, the quote from C.S. Lewis, that Jesus had to either be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. That's it. Because if we stand back and we look at Jesus, we just say, man, he was a really good moral man. I mean, he taught some really good things. Man, if, if man, the whole world just embraced the, the good ethical teachings of Jesus, this world would be a better place. And I don't disagree with that. But it would be in danger because he is a liar then. Or he's a lunatic. If I stood up here and said, I'm God, I can forgive you of my sins. I hope that you would run out of these doors because that's crazy talk. So he either is a liar or a lunatic or he has to be Lord, period. And he's saying I am Lord and if you reject me, these are the commands that have been uh, written forever that these sins will not be blotted out if you reject God's messenger in Jesus. So then, just a the narrative. Oh, sorry, let me read this. This is the Apostle Paul saying the same thing here. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For this, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. It's the exact opposite. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile or any ethnicity. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. Finally, I have trust in God, but lock your doors. It's probably a line from some honky-tonk country song or something like that, but but it's true, right? So let's just... Just think about this. And I love what Nehemiah says here, right? Just, just listen to this. I'm going to talk about, remember last week, I, I kind of mentioned how Nehemiah does this Jesus juke thing, right? Where, where something comes up and, and my grandma used to do this, right? Like someone would, would hand her a tissue and she'd be like, oh, this reminds me of Jesus. And it's like, man, why? I'm not that way. How come everything reminds you of Jesus? Um, and, and so my grandma did that and Nehemiah does this, okay? So just listen. He says, we rebuilt the wall. Like just, so he says, we, we rebuilt the wall, so all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod, right? So there this propaganda story is growing. Their enemies are growing. When they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against God, right? Oh, sorry, to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up against this trouble against them. But we prayed to our God, and we posted a guard, Day and night, right? It seems like, hey, man, we're trusting in God. We're praying to God, but we're also going gonna to lock our doors at night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah and the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know, uh, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put them uh, to an end to their work, right? We're just going to sneak in beyond the walls, and we're going to cause havoc. We're going to kill them. Right? You, you can imagine the fear that would come over the Jews. Then the Jews who lived uh, near them came and told 10 times over. Right? Just a lot of different stories of this same, same thing being told. And wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall uh, at the exposed places. Right? So last week we talked about how diplomatic Nehemiah was, but here he's, he's a strategist here. But he's trusting in God. He says, posting them by families with the swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And there he is, right? There it is. is, These are just men. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families and sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. When the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, and right, he gives all the glory back to God. We all return to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials... Uh, did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. He's going to explain what he means by that in the next section here. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Okay, The sound of the trumpet, that means enemies are attacking at that spot. So come there. Then he says, our God will fight for us. I need you to come. I need you to... But God's going to do this work, right? This is not, again, a nationalistic thing. This is God doing this in their midst. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn to the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helpers stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can never uh, serve us as guards by night and by workers by day, neither... I, nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me, took off their clothes or changed or rested, is kind of what he's saying here. Each had his weapon, even when he went to get water. And again, this is not nationalistically motivated. And so I think that when we look at Nehemiah giving God the glory over and over and over again, even while there's something that he's doing, and in church, can we do the same thing? that we are on mission. We have been commissioned by God to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel and to teach and baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and to obey all the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what we've been commissioned to do. And so when we go out and we are doing that and we're ridiculed, this is when we get to pray to the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And we get to tell people that all they have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ and they will be forgiven. That's what we've been called to do. And yes, you will get ridiculed and mocked for it. But the gates of hell cannot withstand the siege of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we get and we have the honor and privilege to go into the kingdom of darkness and we get to obliterate because we've been given that authority by Jesus regardless of the mockings and insults that might come our way. The gospel is the hope of the world. Do you believe that? There is no worthless human being. There never has been and there never will be. We have the hope of the gospel. So, a closing and application are we praying for the right things in the right way? Or are we selfishly motivated? Well, someone hurt my feelings, or someone said this thing about me, or someone said this thing even about my church. Well, maybe. Is it actually God that's doing the work, or is it me thinking that it's God doing the work? Are we praying for the right things in the right way? And then finally, I think this is pretty pretty straightforward. Are you rejecting Jesus? Because I think the warnings are clear from these passages. And then Jesus shows up and he says, I am here for everybody. All of you that are, are heavy burdened. Come to me and I will give you rest. He offers that to anybody who's willing to cast their cares and their sins upon Jesus. So like we do every week, we're going to have communion. And we're going to look at the bread, which represents the body of Christ that was broken for our sins. There's a reason why we use loaves of bread. Can I get a little theology of some bread this morning? Because we're tearing this. We're tearing the bread to remind us of the torn flesh of our Savior. We drink grape juice to represent the blood of Christ that was shed for us to cover our sins and to remove our sins. As far as the east is from the west, and the wrath of God would come down on Jesus, not on us. And so therefore, with that new bought freedom from sin and slavery to sin and death, we get to, and we are commissioned to go into the world and share that same gospel and good news with everybody who has ears to hear. Uh, On this right side over here, there is a gluten-free option if that is a need for you. Will you bow as we pray, as we lift up our voices to sing, and as we remember this sacrificial meal that Jesus instituted to remember his covenant with his people, with us, with his blood that takes away the sin of the world. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he taught us how to pray. That when we pray, that because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, that we can boldly, boldly come to the throne of grace in our time of need. And God, we are in a time of need. Whether that's a personal time of need, we're struggling with something, that could be financial or, or, or just maybe being ridiculed. Maybe there is some online bullying going on in here, and it's hard. Our jobs might be hard and heavy and wearisome. But God, we can go to you, the creator of the world, and approach you boldly, the great and awesome God. And we can say, God, help me in my hour of need. Help me now. God, give me boldness to proclaim that gospel and that good news when I'm afraid to. God, give me boldness as I proclaim him who's called me out of darkness and into glorious light for those who need it for those wandering sheep that you want to call back into your fold. God, I pray now that as we partake of these elements, that we would remember what your son has done for us thousands of years ago. That's because of his sacrifice that we have been brought near. That he tore down that dividing wall of hostility between ethnic groups. And we can all boldly go to that cross and proclaim freedom in the name of Jesus. God, would you be honored and glorified now with all we say and do. And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray. Amen.